Welcome to Courageous Leadership with Travis Yates, where leaders find the insights, advice, and encouragement they need to lead courageously. Welcome back to the Courageous Leadership Podcast. What a week it has been. I hope you heard our interview with Chief Scott Hughes earlier in the week about his encounter with the IECP, and we followed that up after the consent decree in Louisville with Mr. Bob Scales. Both of those should be mandatory listens for everybody in law enforcement because I'm amazed at how many people have no idea what is actually happening behind the scenes. And we're going to come back and review some of that in a minute. But I am up here in the business office once again on a weekend grinding away. And while I would say I'm working for you today, I kind of am and I'm kind of not. I woke up this morning with my mind going crazy about all the insanity that's happening around the profession and all the decisions being made by leaders, and I simply had to get it out of my head. And so I drove up here, and we're going to rip away at this in a minute and get going. And I, I just cannot emphasize enough of how vital it is that you have this information. That's, of course, what we're trying to do here. And if you haven't seen our article at Substack, travisyates.substack.com, you can just type in, actually the easiest way to get there is go to travisyates.org. Right on the front page, it says Substack. You click that, and we put an article out late yesterday called The Danger of Consent Decrees. And what really kind of pushed me to do this was I was completely embarrassed by all the chiefs that ran out to their social media pages in the wake of the Louisville consent decree, sticking their chest out, saying, look what they did, and here's what we're doing, as if they're somehow better than Louisville. And they clearly don't understand consent decrees. They clearly have no idea that it doesn't matter what you do, the DOJ's a-coming. This is not designed to improve law enforcement. It's not designed to improve communities. You just have to go back for the past 30 years and see what the DOJ has done to law enforcement and communities. They have completely destroyed them. Should I mention Chicago, Portland, Seattle, New Orleans? Oh, I could go on and on. All cities you will never visit with your family. All consent decree cities. They'll never get out of consent decrees. It's a cash grab. They're saying Louisville will be spending minimum of 10 million dollars a year because the DOJ doesn't pay for this they tell the city to pay for it that seems like an awesome way to improve your police department doesn't it let's just take 10 million dollars out of your budget and give it away to bureaucracy I'm not going to go into too much detail hit the article up I think you'll understand more of what I'm about to say after you read the article but I found something yesterday that tied in with what Chief Scott Hughes was talking about if you weren't appalled with what Hughes was saying about his encounter with the IECP and the type of money and the type of things that they're up to because they say they support you. Now, let me preface it. Of course they do some good things. Anybody with millions and millions of dollars in the bank with, you know, the largest police leadership organization, no doubt, in the world, they're going to do some things that are decent, but they mix in enough things that have me concerned. And what I found yesterday, I've got to talk about because you need to know this. In the consent decree from Louisville, now listen, 
Swallow your pride here and don't just chalk this up as Louisville messed up, they get what they deserve and move on down the road. Go read that article, The Danger of Consent Decrees, and we will dive in on exactly what happens. And if you want to go really deep, go listen to Bob Scales a couple episodes back right here at this podcast. It will shock you. It will completely infuriate you. But so many of us want to keep our head in the sand. Actually, not you. The people that aren't listening that would have gotten triggered about two seconds into this interview, the cowards out there, the cowardly leaders out there. No, they're the ones that would do that. I know if you're listening, if you stayed with me, that you get it. And we're going to bring you in the fold in a minute. I'm going to talk about that. But the DOJ never really uses scientific methods. The, the documents are full of opinion. Like the DOJ knows anything about law enforcement, by the way. Should I mention Ruby Reads? But I'll, I'll keep that to another podcast. But once in a while, when you read these documents, they'll cite something for the basis of what they're saying. And they did that in the document. Check this out. LMPD Louisville officers use neck restraints. In, by the way, it's called LVNR. It's not a neck restraint. Anyway, in circumstances where they are not justified. Pretty generic statement, right? Now you get to drift of who's writing these things. Let me just start over because I've interrupted myself already. LMPD officers use neck restraints in circumstances where they are not justified. Neck restraints applying pressure to the neck or throat in a way that inhibits air or blood flow are inherently dangerous. That's in quotes. And have the potential to cause, in quotes, serious bodily injury or death. Okay, first off, they're talking about LVNRs. And LVNR is not something applied to the throat. I mean, right then and there, these folks are incompetent. But what are they putting in quotes? They're putting in quotes exactly what the International Association of Chiefs of Police placed in their national consensus policy just a few months after the George Floyd death. The ICP has a generic use of force policy that they encourage all their agencies to use. Once again, about 90% of it's pretty solid. But they changed it in the two months following the George Floyd incident. This is important because George Floyd did not die from a neck restraint. George Floyd did not die from LVNR. George Floyd did not die from a chokehold. So this organization that's supposed to have your back is violating a huge tenant, and we'll talk about the chiefs that have done that as well, and making this a policy. They're violating a huge tenant of courageous police leadership where they're letting facts be trumpeted by feelings. Feelings have more impact than facts. And that's all this is, right? Oh, because the media said it was a chokehold, we better change our policy. Isn't it ironic that the organization that's supposed to support you, supposed to support law enforcement, supposed to support leaders, the Department of Justice is citing them in consent decrees that are ruining police departments. By the way, they're in bed together. You know that, right? The Department of Justice is, the, is the leading, one of the leading funders of the IECP. You can go right to the IRS documents and see that. We have that in the article. So the ICP is never going to say anything, very likely, that goes against the DOJ mantra, the DOJ initiatives, what the DOJ says. So if you, you are doomed if you're in bed with all these individuals. 
Now, once again, I'm a member of the ICP. No more. I will not be renewing my membership. They don't care about that, right? I'm one of a lot of people. They could care less what I'm saying right now. They're the, they're the gorilla in the room, right? They're the big behemoth. But it's about principle, folks. I cannot stand by and let an organization that, that says they are for you when they clearly are not. Because let me tell you what this does. After LAPD banned LVNR, suspect injury rates went up 61%. That's from, I looked at the research this morning. My head was blaring. I looked all the research up. 61%. When you take LVNR out of intermediate force and you place it in deadly force or you ban it, as many departments have done, it's rarely going to be ever used. And officers, when they're in an intermediate force situation, have to then use impact weapons, have to then do things that can hurt people. So there's no shock that suspect injuries went up. Guaranteed officer injuries went up too. And so I cannot stomach when there's a police practice that has 40 to 50 years of a track record that has helped prevent injuries from officers, helped prevent injuries from civilians. When we have the DOJ and the ICP all getting in bed together saying get rid of it, and many departments have done that. Now, is LVNR deadly force, which is what they say. Now, the DOJ, they cited the ICP saying it was. It's a lie. There has not been one documented death from LVNR since it became really police practice about 40 years ago. It originated out of Kansas City. It's done every day in jiu-jitsu gyms. It's done every weekend in MMA gyms or on television. Anyone with a brain knows it. The ICP knows it. I doubt the DOJ knows anything, but the ICP knows it. What's the research say? Well, we, there's actual scientific research on it. Okay, this research is out of the Journal of Applied Physiology. It's a premium publication in the field. The title of the article is called Mechanism of Lost Consciousness During Vascular Neck Restraint. Maybe the DOJ should read research. But no, they cite the IACP because they put it in their consensus policy. This is what it says. Quote, with the majority of subjects rendered unconscious, and importantly, with no serious adverse effects on our subjects, we conclude that LVNR is a safe and effective force intervention, writes lead researcher Dr. Jamie Mitchell. Who are these researchers? Dr. Jamie Mitchell, Dr. Dan Roach, all PhDs, Dr. Belenke, medical doctor, Dr. John Tyberg, Dr. Robert Sheldon, PhD and MD, all affiliated with the world-renowned Libin Cardiovascular Institute of Alberta. Don't just believe that. I challenge you. Anyone can come on this show and challenge this. You show me where someone has been seriously hurt or killed with LVNR. Oh, when you Google it, you'll see a few. It's typically activist groups that are showing you a few people that have died in police custody where maybe an LVNR has been used or not. But they all died with massive amounts of drugs in their system until they died of overdoses. We know that. Anyone with a brain knows that. So you, you, maybe you'll find a few out there that's being promulgated by these groups. But the idea that there's no evidence whatsoever and our professional organizations, the largest in the world, is saying do this. 
And the Department of Justice is putting consent decrees on departments in part because they actually use a best practice in law enforcement. It's been around for almost 50 years. Should drive all of you mad and make all of you scared of the state of our profession. Now let me tell you who this impacts. It impacts even good leaders. And Chief Paul Williams out of Springfield, Missouri is one of the best leaders I know. I want to preface that with this. But it puts leaders in a very difficult position when their own police chief organization does this. And the DOJ connects to it and starts placing consent decrees on cities. This article is from the Springfield News Leader from January of 2021. Why is that important? Keep in mind the timing here. May of 2020, George Floyd. A couple months later, the IACP changes their policy. At their conferences, they start talking about it. All the activist groups jump on it. See, police, police are doing this, even though it had nothing to do with George Floyd. This, this by the way, brings in another core courageous police leadership principle where you need to communicate to eliminate misunderstanding. What the IACP could have done was explain in detail, in article format, video format, they had the bully pulpit, that LVNR was safe. That's what they could have done, but they chose not to because they don't, they seemingly, I better put that seemingly, in my opinion, although they don't need my money, they got plenty of it in the bank. They seemingly, in my opinion, don't care about officer injuries, don't care about suspect injuries because that's the outcome of this. Studies have shown that, LAPD shown that. Injuries will go up when you take us out of the toolbox. So this is the headline of the article, and I, I really like this headline. Springfield police chief reluctantly bans controversial neck restraint technique. A couple of words another jumped out. He reluctantly. That's, I'll interpret that. He doesn't want to do it. But what are you going to do when the ICP says you need to do it? What are you going to do when you have activist groups screaming at you? and your own organization says you need to do it, it puts chiefs in a very bad position. Shame on the ICP. Shame on anybody that promulgates this lie. And by the way, since when is it controversial? Who made that opinion? It's not controversial when you watch it on MMA. It's not controversial when you train in a jiu-jitsu gym. It's not controversial with anybody with a brain. Okay, and here's what Chief Williams did. He said, hey, listen, this is a, I'm paraphrasing a little bit of this because you don't want me to read an article. He says, this is a safe and effective way to get combative subjects to comply, 100%. He knows that. He's one of the most progressive, smartest chiefs I know. But he's backed against the corner, isn't he? Back in July, leaders of the Springfield NAACP called on the police department to do away with the technique, what's a couple months after George Floyd, that involves an officer arm around a suspect neck in the wake of the George Floyd death. Remember, Feelings over facts. That's what's going on here. Feelings over facts. Williams explained that the LVNR is different from a chokehold, which is already banned in Springfield. Not a bad move. Chokeholds really should be deadly force only. But ban it, deadly force. I mean, you know, if you ban it, your deadly force is now shoot somebody. But, you know, I'm not going to get too bent out about that because it involves an officer applying pressure to the sides of the suspect neck to slow the flow of blood to and from the brain. So, he, so the chief is actually trying to explain this. He's giving them facts. I like that. Facts over feelings. Williams said LVNR 
has not led to any deaths or serious injuries for people in Springfield. And let me add to that, or in the United States, since it's been around. This is called not deadly force, by the way, right? It's crazy. And he even invited the local NAACP leaders to, to a demonstration on the technique. I love all this, folks. He's trying to give them facts over feelings. But the problem with trying to give somebody facts over feelings is you can't guarantee that they're going to accept the facts because we live in this world where feelings and emotion have ruined people's brains. They have no logic anymore. So I really like what he's trying to do here. And in my opinion, I haven't, I haven't spoke to him about this, but in my opinion, he's trying to save this for his officer. He's trying to explain this. He's trying to tell him this is not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. Because when you take this out of intermediate force, if you're in, if you're in a fight with somebody, you're in an assault with somebody, they're assaulting you, and you take this out of being able to use it, you're left with hitting somebody, throwing them to the ground, pummeling them. That's what you're, I mean, people don't want to hear that, but that's what you do in a fight. The only time I've been hurt in a jiu-jitsu gym, and I haven't, you know, I don't talk about this much because I'm really nobody in, in a, in a jiu-jitsu gym. You know, I'm just trying to, I just go get beat up every day. I had my first injury this week. I got like athlete's foot, right, which is common, right? I got athlete's foot, Okay. I know what you're saying. I want to go play footsie with Travis later. Now, it's off for a few, few weeks. Can't do it. I can't even go to the gym for a few weeks. I can't heal this because if I, if I go to the gym with this, other people will catch it. And you, would, you should see what you see in a jiu-jitsu gym. People are getting rolled up. In fact, a bystander may look at that and say, man, that looks pretty violent. It's not because it's trained techniques. So we need to communicate to eliminate misunderstanding, and Chief Williams has attempted to do this here. And he says, uh, even though it hadn't led to any deaths, we're going to ban it anyway. So it's totally banned in Springfield. So the chief tried to pitch, this is what the article said, the police chief's pitch did not change the opinion of the Springfield NAACP leadership. However, Williams announced at the city council meeting that the technique has been taken out of the police department's use of force continuum. So he's attempted. And listen, I'm not sitting in Chief Williams' seat. It's easy for me to sit here in my office here, you know, and to rip on this. I'm not ripping on him. He's in a different position than me. And I think he used some of our principles to the best he possibly could. He tried to explain it. He tried to give him facts. He's not, let, he, he's, he's not letting feelings sort of overtake this, but ultimately when he made the decision to ban it, he let feelings win, okay? Um... This, and he, he's doing it the right way, folks. Springfield police officers were receiving 14 hours of police academy training on LVNR. That's, you know, that's really above the norm, I believe. I could, you could train this in a couple hours. And they're really going above and board to make sure this is correct. And he says, plus, we get three hours every year for recertification. The technique was used 36 times in 2019. It was successful to get suspects to comply in 30 of those cases. So what does that mean? Most of the time when you apply LVNR, you're not putting people unconscious because, I'll give you an MMA term, they tap out. It's a very uncomfortable position to be in. doesn't hurt you. That's why it's so successful. Most of the time to get people in uncomfortable positions, you're risking hurting them. And LVNR is, so, is such a powerful police tactic because it places people very quickly in an uncomfortable position where they will surrender and they're not hurt. 
Now, I don't know what happened to the other six, but probably they were rendered unconscious. Those were the stubborn ones in the group, right? I'm in, the MMA, I'm in a jiu-jitsu gym a few times a week up until I got hurt, you know, uh, and I don't like getting going unconscious. It's happened. I'm fine, but I will tap out. <laughs> I will tap out, and that's what he's saying here. 30 out of 36 said, okay, we surrender because it's very uncomfortable, very effective, very effective. It's really a shame that I'm going to blame the IACP has put our chiefs in this position. And so he banned it, and what did this do? for the chief by the way the springfield police have the chief's done an incredible job they actually have you know because everybody talks about this in well to help us build trust you need to get rid of these best practices in law enforcement that doesn't hurt people okay whatever <laughs> what's the trust rating in springfield african americans trust their police department according to this article 77 percent that's on the higher end of what Everyone, you know, Gallup is between 70 and 80 every year for all the population. African-Americans are typically between 50 and 65, a little bit lower. Of course, you know, you watch the news, you see why, because the news makes sure that happens. So he has done a very good job here. But to build, build trust and to make these groups happy, we'll ban it. So this is what the NLACP said, and this goes back to what we talk about a lot. You're never going to make them happy. It doesn't matter what you do, so don't get rid of good police practices. Quote, Tony Robinson, who was the president of Springfield NAACP when the organization petitioned the city in July to do away with LVNR, said she was pleased with the police chief's decision. But, there's always a but, because they're never going to be happy. But Robinson added that police still have a ways to go to improve relations with minority communities. She says, this is just the tip of the iceberg. That's nonsense, we know that. If you live in Springfield, or you're a member of the NAACP in Springfield, you should be thanking your God every day that Chief Paul Williams is your chief. You don't get any better than that. So this goes to prove my point. They, it will never be enough to a small group of people Okay, I'm not just going to pick on NWCP. I mean, you can talk about Antifa and all these little groups and all these groups all over the country that use this for agenda purposes. How do, we, how do we affect that? How do we deal with that? We be truthful. Facts over feelings. Communicate to stop misunderstanding. And then if they don't like it, you've done your job as a courageous leader. We need more of that. And I didn't want to do this. But I woke up this morning, and we're going to do it. I'm not going to ever stop the ICP from being political and woke and trying to make the money people happy. No, of course not. They're never going to care what we do or say. I was never going to speak at their conference anyway. I don't spend enough money. I don't sponsor enough. I don't do enough. They don't care about that. There's a lot of other professional organizations that I'll never speak in front of because we do not align. They do not stand for what... I stand for or what courageous leadership stands for they stand for chaos look at if you want to know how much our organizations have failed you look at the state of law enforcement right now and those or just look at it it makes me sick to my stomach and I will tell you I think the national FOP has stepped up in recent years their communication and them fighting for you as officers I think has been commendable but they're the lone wolf 
right? They're probably not getting any money from the DLJs. I mean, they, they really probably aren't beholden to these folks that are doing this. But it's enough, folks. These folks are not going to help you. We're never going to build leadership the right way by the IECP and the stuff they stand for. And the reason I can say that pretty boldly is because this issue, the LVNR issue, is simple. There's not controversy about this. We have almost 50 years of a safe track record, and they're jumping up and raising their hands saying, get rid of it, move with the deadly force, and really forcing the hands of our chiefs. So I've alluded to this. It's official. We're going to start the Courageous Police Leadership Alliance. It's never going to compete against the big boys. I get it. It's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to change this profession, change this country, change these police departments one leader at a time. That's all we need. And eventually, the tipping point is here. And it has to start somewhere. I talk about the power of one in all the conferences, how one person can make a difference. I guess I got to live it now because we're going to do this. So you can go there right now, cplalliance.org. Courageous Police Leadership Alliance, cplalliance.org. If you mess up and go to .com, you'll get to the same place. There's a place to sign up. What we have right now is an email. We want to hear from you. Are you on board or not? There's not going to be any cost to this. I mean, we may have to. I mean, obviously, there's going to be lots of cost to this. But it's not going to cost you money to get involved in this. I mean, we may eventually have a uh, donate if you can or give us something or whatever. But you know, we're, not, you know, we're not some money-hungry, give us your money, you're not in. No, no, if you're a courageous leader, if you adhere to the principles that we will place here, you're in. And we need you. And let's change everything. Believe you can do it. Understand the dangers this profession is in if we don't. Understand the dangers your community is in if we don't. We're not going to get there by writing a few books, and we got number two book coming out later that's going to rock everyone because the first one was like elementary school. We're going all the way up now because we're in dire straits. We launched that. We started that process just this week, and we'll give you more details on that later. We're not going to get there by doing seminars. I'm going to be in Arizona. I'll be in front of a couple hundred people in a few weeks. In that small area, we may change some people there, but how are we going to do this nationwide? The Courageous Police Leadership Alliance, it's a nonprofit. Uh, we have that status coming. We're going to make this happen. And I'm going to spend my life, however long the good Lord gives me, of making sure that you have all the tools and all the resources to change leadership, to not for the better. Please join us. Please help us. Please spread the message. All the resources from all the crazy leadership out there, we're going to bring here. And we're going to do a lot of things that I think can make community safer and make you better. Thanks for listening. And remember, lead on and stay courageous. Thank you for listening to Courageous Leadership with Travis Yates. We invite you to join other courageous leaders at travisyates.org.